Hello everyone, and welcome to the first in our series of light sensitivity awareness podcasts. My name is Rodney Mountain, and today we're here with Professor Sally Ibbotson and Trish Tocher, one of our patients. We're recording from the Scottish Photobiology Service in the Photobiology Unit at Ninewells Hospital, and we are here today to discuss light sensitivity. This series of podcasts is a part of our ongoing patient engagement work that the service is involved in, where we're trying to raise awareness of light sensitivity conditions in order to try and reduce the time that it takes for people to be referred to our service for testing and also to improve the lives of our patients. Let's start with a few introductions and a little bit more information about the service and the patients that are involved in the service. And could I start with you firstly, Trish? Would you mind just introducing yourself as one of the patients? Hi, my name's Trish. I have a condition called chronic actinic dermatitis, and I've been a patient now at Ninewells since January 2017. Thank you. And Sally, do you mind just introducing yourself and the work that you do in the service? Yes, so uh, I'm Sally Ibbotson. I'm a dermatologist and the lead for the Scottish Photobiology Service. And the Scottish Photobiology Service is hosted here in Dundee. It's a national service funded by national services. And the purpose of this service is for the diagnosis, management, support and treatment of patients with light sensitivity diseases across the entire of Scotland. We've existed since the very early 1970s and this podcast today is one step towards furthering our focus on what really matters to our patients in terms of engaging patients, involving patients in their own care and trying to tap into what are the most important factors for patients with light sensitivity diseases. Thank you, Sally. And just sort of narrowing down a little bit, could you tell us a little bit more about chronic actinic dermatitis from a clinical perspective? What are the causes of the condition? How might people present as individuals with the specific condition? Yes, so this is a chronic, rare light sensitivity disease, which presents itself as a dermatitis or an eczema, which often patients will or the public will think of it as. So it's an eczema, which is an inflammation of the skin, which occurs on sites that are exposed to sunlight. Although the important thing is that patients are often sensitive to not only the ultraviolet part of the spectrum, but also sometimes to the visible part of light. So this means that patients can actually have problems with their skin and with dermatitis or eczema on their skin at any time of year. And this is one of the problems that we have in terms of late diagnosis and late recognition and late presentation to the service is that patients will sometimes have problems on both sun exposed and sun protected sites at any time of year. And they can be affected with also artificial lighting and with light coming through window glass. And in this condition, over three quarters of patients will also have lots of other allergies, such as allergies to perfumes or nickel or rubbers, for example. So it can be a fairly complex disease that can present in a range of ways. It historically used to only really be seen in more elderly males, but increasingly we're now seeing it in younger people, even very young teenagers and adults who have maybe had a lifetime of 
eczema associated with asthma and hay fever, and to then suddenly go on to start developing eczema on their heads and necks, or in some patients, they may be aware of a link with worsening in the summertime. And that's where our light testing really comes into play, because this is an impossible diagnosis to make without having light sensitivity to back it up and confirm the diagnosis. And we're often caught out in thinking it is chronic actinic dermatitis or it isn't chronic actinic dermatitis unless we have the abilities to also light test. So it is a rare condition. But having said that, in the Scottish Photobiology Service, it is the second most common light sensitivity condition that we see. And it is thought to have an immune underlying background. But one of the unfortunate factors of being a rare disease is that there are not huge studies that have been done in lots of patients as to try and work out the exact cause or indeed the best treatment approaches. So we work with the medical evidence that we have to date and our own experience over the last 50 or so years. That's fantastic. I've learned so much just listening to that explanation. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's always really useful to try and just get into your shoes as a person with this condition, going back, you know, thinking of your journey and when it started. And uh, would you mind just yeah. elaborating on that? I mean, just listen to Professor Abbotson. One of the key things for me was I have had eczema really since I was a child. I've got a twin sister, actually, and um, she's fine. She doesn't have any conditions like this, no allergies, anything like that. And I remember as a child not being allowed to go swimming. So it's something that I've had sort of all my life, and it's it peaked and troughed, and I think I've always noticed that it's been relevant at moments of stress, mm -hmm. uh, particularly. But for me, in terms of the actual chronic actinic dermatitis condition, in August 2015, I had some significant work and personal stress that all sort of happened at the same time and I think the impact to that was the breaking point for me so I tend to just keep going so I kept going and kept going and kept working and doing everything that I was doing and my skin just started to deteriorate and deteriorate and you know as Professor Abbotson has described in my face particularly my chest area but also I had a sort of a broader systemic response as well. So the area for me that is problematic it was my back actually as well. So I was getting some problems with eczema on my back, but particularly the face area and the chest area. And I decided oh, I better go and do something about this. Went to the GP, then get referred to my local dermatologist in Lanarkshire. And that happened round about, by the time the GP appointment happened and then the initial appointment at dermatology I was seen at first by a registrar and this is not to have any disrespect at all to the fact that it was a registrar or it was a locum but I think it is such a rare condition that it wasn't obvious maybe to them initially so I was given the usual lotions and potions and it didn't really get any better and I remember having a particularly difficult time during the summer in the sort of May-June time of 2016 when I had been out painting a fence. For, so I was out exposed for quite a period of time and became really, really unwell, actually. My face really swelled up like a balloon. Um, it was purple, actually. <laughs> Again, you know, never having really understood the whole light sensitivity thing, would never in a million years have put it down to being out in the sun too much, really. And it had Factor 50 on, did all that, you know. So I just plodded along. I just kept going, went to work, did all that I, I would normally do, just kept applying the creams and wasn't really getting anywhere. 
you know, I was going to work and I do work in the NHS, so I actually had consultant colleagues and medical colleagues come up and saying, I don't think you really are looking that good, Trish. I think you really need to go back and get checked out again and etc. You should go back to dermatology. Okay, okay, right, okay. So I did eventually go back and it just so happened that everything was aligned at that moment because I walked into Dr. Frieder Schaffelli's clinic and Dr. Schaffelli diagnosed me within 30 seconds, I think. And was because apparently the way that I presented that day was classic. So she was able to look at me and say, yeah, I, I think this is what you've got. But to actually be sure about it, we need to refer you to the photobiology unit in Dundee, which I had never heard of before, didn't even know existed, certainly do now. In January 2017, I became a patient and went through all the testing and got the diagnosis of chronic ectomic dermatitis. And it was baffling, actually. The whole thing was just mesmerising. Mm. The experience of going through the testing, but also when Dr Daw, who's just, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, Dr Daw then sits you down and gives you the explanation. He does it in a technical way and then he breaks it down for you, which is really, really helpful. And to then be told that you have a condition where, the way that I describe it to Joe Bloggs is I'm allergic to daylight. Team try and get your head around that. It's really quite difficult. I mean, it's difficult for me, and I still, I think I was in denial with the condition for ages and ages. It was like, no, nah, you're not going to tell me I can't go walk outside and I'm going to be okay. That's just nonsense. I, and of course, that you know that it's no nonsense. You know, so to be told by Dr. Doe at the first consultation that I was so sensitive, you know, a, a January day, I had about 20 minutes exposure in a cloudy Scottish January before I would start responding, I really had to take a long time to try and really understand that. And so when I asked the question and I said to him, and what does that mean then in terms of the summer? And he said, well, you're so sensitive that you've probably got about five or ten minutes, you know. Just listening to what you're describing to me, I mean, this is a really tough journey. Yeah from both a physical perspective and an emotional one and the way it impacts you in just day-to-day -day life. You know, it's, it's huge. It's massive. What was funny actually was at work, I had been going to work and the office that I had had the old strip lights and I knew when I went into work, I wasn't great, but I knew when I left work, I was much worse than when I went into work and I couldn't understand and it turns out that it was the strip lights were emitting UVB, which was the particular bit of the spectrum that I become intolerant to, and I'm now intolerant to UV as well. So that even that experience, you know, that understanding that it's not just the daylight, it's not just stepping outside. You know, we had to change the bulbs in the house, to change the bulbs in the office. You know, we had to change the car and make the car safer for me because I was 20 minutes in a summer's day, even in a car journey, was too much. Things like having three children going out and hanging out washing, for me and a summer's day particularly, you know, was brutal. So my neighbours are quite used to me now that the sight that they see when I'm hanging my washing out is quite uh, creative, I think, you know, big hats, but also if it's particularly warm and if my face is particularly feeling sensitive and sore, I use a tube fast bandage on it so I look like the invisible man. So, yeah, they've had that fright and that exposure, but they're used to it now and they understand why I do that. So... It's just things like that that people might not quite understand about how it impacts, what you have to do to try and avoid it, but also if you do get caught out and if you're having a, a flare-up, what that actually means, you know. And, and for me, one of the hardest things was the systemic response, particularly around my back area, it impacted on 
what I could wear. I became quite almost phobic, I would say, actually, towards certain materials. I probably haven't even touched about 90% of my wardrobe. There's only a handful of things I can wear now that I have to be caught in. They have to really not be that good clothes because the creams that I was putting on, and I say was because I'm on a new drug now, but certainly for the sort of four years, you know, you couldn't put anything good on because the creams I was putting on my back would just go right through. Or So what then happens is it, it's that sort of all of a sudden you've got all these creams on. What you can put on is restricted. Therefore, you don't really want to go outside. So I was lucky that the work that I do, I can do with a phone and a computer. So for me, I've really been working from home almost for four years now. So I've almost been locked down for four years. And, you know, COVID for me in some ways was actually really quite good because it sort of brought everybody into my world in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it gave us teams and it gave us an ability to see people, yes. uh, which I didn't normally have because I was just dialing into meetings. Tell me, is there something you see as a common theme with people with a lot of these disorders in your... Yes, and, and thanks so much for that very heartfelt sharing with us, Tricia. That's really immensely helpful. And obviously today is about you and chronic actinic dermatitis particularly but you know just to say we see a very wide range of different types of light sensitivity disease through from the commonest condition which is polymorphic light eruption or PLE or sometimes mistermed prickly heat that actually is phenomenally common affects about a fifth of the population and we only see the tip of the iceberg of people with polymorphic light eruption because in its usual mildest form it may only trouble someone if they go on holiday to Tenerife or something mm -hmm. and it's otherwise they're perfectly fine. So I suppose to set it into context, what we're talking about today is chronic actinic dermatitis is one of the rarer and often more severe light sensitivity conditions. But not all light sensitivity conditions are severe and often many are very readily managed by accurate diagnosis and by sensible advice on some protection measures etc and often even things like different types of light therapies which we can come on to. When you have severe light sensitivity where on testing somebody is for example abnormally sensitive to UVB which is the sunburny bit of the sun, UVA which is the sort of light that on a sunny winter's day or on a cloudy day will be present or can come through a car window and even to visible light which is obviously present all year round and virtually impossible to completely avoid, then that comes with many more impactful management challenges for us and huge challenges for you as the patient. One of the most important things for us is to make an as accurate a diagnosis as possible so that we know exactly which wavelengths of light you're abnormally sensitive to because that allows us to offer you help and support and advice appropriate to your light testing. We've increasingly recognised that light sensitivity has very specific challenges that have potential for major impact on life, both physical and psychological impact. And that's the whole purpose of our patient engagement programme of activities to try and drill down onto what those specific issues are and to try and offer help and support. So in terms of sort of the basic measures, it would seem obvious that sun protection, so putting in things to, you know, ensure that you're sitting in the shade or you're wearing a hat or you're wearing clothing of a weave that the light can't penetrate or layered clothing. 
and you're wearing appropriate high factor sunscreens applied frequently enough. Mm. That's a mainstay. But by the time many people come to us, they've often got all of those measures in place. We'll fine tune that based on what your light testing results are. So, you know, if you're sensitive to visible light and UVA, then normal sunscreens aren't going to be that helpful and we'll need to tailor that. But I think an important thing is trying to support people to live as normal lives as possible with their light sensitivity. So chronic actinic dermatitis, we haven't talked yet about prognosis. Half of the people with CAD, as we'll call it, their light sensitivity will burn out over time and they will go back to having normal light sensitivity. But of course, when you first come, we don't know which mm -hmm. half you're going to yeah. fall into and when that will happen. Will it be next week or will it be in 10 years time? So our role is really to support people as best as possible and to offer continuity of care. And it's one of the reasons that we've developed our specialist photodiagnostic nursing role. Susan, who, you know, after patients come and have a mm -hmm. first diagnosis, we will follow up. And as you say, the pandemic has added some positives for us because actually now it's as easy to access our service if you live on Stornoway as it would be if you lived in Dundee because we have now mm -hmm. developed and established virtual near me video consultation. Yeah. We've got telephone follow-up advisory services. We've got email advisory services. We've got a photography email service where people can send in photographs and things. So sort of sun protection, support, advice, holistic care, really to recognise that this does impact majorly. And then obviously treating existing disease. So as you say, you've gone through the lotions and potions. Mm -hmm. Often people have by the time they mm -hmm. come to us. Yeah. And so depending on the disease you present with in CAD, for example, we sometimes use immune suppressing tablets. Paradoxically, we'll sometimes use light to try and desensitize people using light that they're not sensitive to. But you, if you're exquisitely sensitive to all wavelengths mm -hmm. of light, that might not be mm -hmm. possible. And then now, as you mentioned, Trish, newer drugs, there are newer biologic drugs coming online based on good sound clinical evidence. And I think this will have a revolutionary impact we hope on the treatment of a lot of chronic inflammatory diseases, not just photosensitivity mm -hmm. diseases. So I think it's an exciting time going forward. We also have to ensure that things like vitamin D are thought about. So if you strictly sun avoid and you live in Scotland, mm -hmm. which is not renowned for its sunny weather, then the likelihood is you'll become vitamin D deficient. So we check vitamin D levels. We check that we're not missing other diagnoses. We advise on supplements, diet, etc. So the key thing is we're not a one-stop service. We will see you and we will offer ongoing advice appropriately. In CAD, we will almost invariably offer repeat testing and follow-up. And that's for a whole lot of reasons, really. Particularly, we know that when people come and have a diagnosis of CAD made and then go off and we see them back, nine out of 10 people will say, oh, I think I'm much better. But actually, is that just because you've tailored your lifestyle accordingly or is it because mm -hmm. on testing you're better? So we do do serial mm -hmm. follow-up testing as well because if your testing's getting better, you want to know. You don't want to strictly sun avoid. The other thing that we're increasingly doing is we're advising people on not to totally sun avoid. So being told you're abnormally light sensitive and then going and hiding away in a dark room is not the way forward for the most mm -hmm. people with most light sensitivity diseases. And there's a caveat there because there's the odd, very rare condition like xeroderma pigmentosum where strict sun protection is critical. But for most of the light sensitivity conditions we're seeing, and this includes CAD, 
actually having graded low level exposure on a repeated basis or natural hardening, as we now call it, can actually be very beneficial and can actually mean that people, for example, are less sensitive on, say, their chronically exposed bits of arms or faces than they would be at other sites yeah. that they keep entirely covered. I understand it's a massively impactful condition to have. From our perspective, it's a very rewarding and challenging set of conditions and diseases to try and make some inroad into because the benefits of being able to help and support and advise in terms of supporting you and your whole care it's our big focus in terms of importance because actually our engagement events have highlighted that mm -hmm. it's not only you it's your family it's your employers it's your friends and it's and yeah, i know that, rod you're going to come on yeah i mean that. that kind of leads me back to you mm -hmm. trish is mm -hmm. just uh, part of the reason why we're here today is about raising awareness mm -hmm. and giving people a better understanding mm -hmm. yeah. both patients and clinicians mm -hmm. people working in the health service what's been your experience of, of that Trying to tell people yeah. what you've got, explain it to family or friends or work yeah. colleagues. I think people don't understand it. And they can also, because it's the skin, they can be quite dismissive of it. And it's not even trying to be empathetic with mm. you. They think, oh, it's the skin. Oh, well, I had a sunburn in, you know, the summer of 1976. I know what that feels like. So people think they understand what it's like, but they really don't understand what it's like. And to talk about, you know, well, I can't really go into the, the sunlight. Some of the off-cuff remarks I would have from people would be, oh, well, you're fine then, you live in Scotland, you'll be okay. So you don't get any real sympathy at all, frankly. It's just like, what's, what's the big deal about that? And that's quite hard. That's quite hard because you know you've got a condition that has basically taken your life away, really. I mean, that's what it does. I mean, when I think about, you know, in terms of the relationships that I've got, like my husband... It's impacted on all sorts of things between us, I would say. I think in terms of my kids, my kids became almost my carers at one point because I can't reach my back. I can reach bits of it. So to get creams on, to get particularly flared areas, to get steroids on at the right bit, or to get the emollients on, to just to ease the discomfort, you become reliant on people, really, in, in that sense. And that's quite difficult when you're a pretty strong, independent person, you know. So, And even things like holidays. My family holidays, I mean, we're we're fortunate in a sense in that we've always, before it became fashionable, can I add, it, we always went down to Cornwall. So we've gone down to Cornwall for the last sort of 10, 15 years. And with hindsight, I can look back on those, some of those family holidays now. And I know that Dr. Dawes said, I think I've got PLE as well. So I can look back and think that I've had days where I've had other types of reactions yeah. in the sun but things that I would do with my kids, you know, go body surfing in the water and all that was taken away from me. So the last few holidays we've had, I've been completely confined. In fact, the first holiday I actually had after the diagnosis, I was in such denial that I took my children for their first foreign holiday to Mallorca mm -hmm. because my response was, no, no, this can't be mm -hmm. the case. No, I'm taking my kids to Spain. So I did, and I ended up completely covered up, more you could see with my eyes, eyes yeah. you know. Yeah. And that in itself was actually much harder because I would stay completely covered under two brollies with big hats and even towels over me. So I was staying in the shade, and if I wanted to get into the pool, I would put the, which was UV block, long-sleeved and, like, long trousers, and 
like a balaclava type waterproof and then my glasses and that in itself brought such attention it mm. was very uncomfortable yeah, yeah. and people were actually felt look so different. They, I look so different they were filming me and taking pictures and I found that really hard and the irony is I've had probably when in start naked they would have been Yes. They wouldn't even have batted an eyelid. That's the irony of it. Yeah. But because I was completely covered up from top to toe, mm. my girls found this quite hard. And I just said, right, come on, let's get in and play some volleyball. And we just went in and we just got on with it. But there was a couple of instances in that holiday that were quite difficult for me to deal with. So we never went abroad again. But it's curtailed the family holidays now in terms of where we go, what we do, what I can do, even getting into a... I don't, you know, my skin sometimes... You know, I'd say up until now, up until being on this new drug, I've not been able to like do the hot tub thing and just the things that people do that, and you know, if, they're, if we're going away for a weekend or whatever, I don't do that with my girls. So it does, it, it just closes off certain things to you. You have to try and be creative as well. So, I mean, I'm all for, and that's very much how I try and live with the condition is so that my kids can see that yeah. that's what life is. Life is a series of... Barriers that are put, you know, you, nobody's life goes easy, Ozzy. Nobody's life's like that. So when stuff comes to you, you have to look to see how you overcome it, how you make the best of it, or you work around it. And that's what I've tried to do with this condition. You're quite amazing in the way you've sort of had to adapt so many things yeah. in your life. And yeah. Can I just say one thing? I think the patient experience events have been just superb. They really have. And to be able to sit with other people and have the experience and I always say, I mean, I'm in my fifties now and I've had a pretty good life. You know, I'm not saying it's over. You know, I sometimes when I, I start with that, it sounds as though it's over. And there, there have been times when I've been maybe that down that it feels like it, but I, you get yourself back up again and you move on. But I often think about people who are younger mm -hmm. with this condition, because for me, being a mum of three kids, you know, in some ways, my happiness is determined by their happiness. So as long as they're OK, you can almost deal with everything else that life throws your way. But if I was in my 20s and 30s with this condition, again, I think psychologically and the way that it would impact in your life being a younger person, and even as well, if it was my child that had it, for me, I just think that adds a completely different yeah. dimension yeah. And, and I would see even harder layer on top of my experience. Oh, yeah, yeah so... It's lovely to hear that those sort of engagement events work because I think what you're trying to do as a department is to get that patient experience to build a better service, to educate our doctors, GPs, everybody working in the community, trying to speed up a diagnosis, yeah. all yeah. these sort of elements. Yeah. So this has been very, yeah. very useful. Yeah, no, it's very much to raise awareness for the public, for your friends, mm -hmm. for your families, for your, I'm talking about you, but in general, employers, you mentioned about children and children with light sensitivity. I think there definitely are specific needs there for the child and also for the extended family. And we'll often need to contact teachers and schools about, for example, getting shades erected in yeah. the playground or getting UV protective window film mm. fitted or adjusting artificial lighting. And likewise with employers. And one of the key things that's emerged from the events is the engagement events that we've had is that often it is the employers or the friends or the family or the schools that don't necessarily fully understand the it. Wider and, social and, context, you know, and yeah. in some ways, 
why would they unless it had been brought on their radar so i think that's what we're really wanting yeah. to do is raise awareness put light sensitivity onto people's yeah it's huge. it really is huge thank you both so much i think we've gathered so much really useful information from you trish thank you so much and, and sally for contributing a little bit more detail about these actual conditions and how they impact on people i'd like to thank everyone who's been listening and hope that you found this podcast interesting and enjoyable. If you'd like to know more about light sensitivity, we have further podcasts in a series, as well as the wealth of information on the NHS Photobiology website. These details you can find in relation to the podcast description that we have for you. But once again, a huge thank you, Trish, particularly for coming along today to share your experience. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Trish. Thank you, Lord. Thank you.